0: is very controversial. There are certain scriptures that when you approach them and you read them just first reading uh, if you don't study the context and you don't step back for a minute and say all right what is what is Paul or what is the writer really saying you um, you may misinterpret it. We've been talking a lot in our uh, Bible study, the morning adult one right before this, been talking about the idea of how to interpret the Bible. There are principles, what's called hermeneutics. It's a science. In fact, if you look at the New Testament, um, the New Testament writers constantly quote from the Old Testament. And we can learn that there are certain things that they did when they would quote from an Old Testament that we can learn. Because the danger is... You know, the devil knows Scripture. When, when Jesus was tempted in the garden, um, what did the devil do? He quoted Scriptures. And instead of Jesus backing away from that, Oh no, he quoted my book. Oh no. Instead of doing that, Jesus responded with the sword of the Spirit, Scriptures. In context, here's the key. The devil always twists the Scriptures. so. You and I should not be hesitant to approach the Scriptures. Some people have that attitude. You know, the Bible says so many different things that can be interpreted so many different ways. I just don't even want to bother it. That is so dangerous. Jesus condemned the Pharisees. You know what he said? He said, you do err, not knowing the Scriptures. The Pharisees? They quoted the scripture all the time. They were supposed to be students of the scriptures. But they did not know. They, did, they, they had such a distorted view of the scriptures that Jesus said, you don't know your Bibles well enough. That's what he said. You need to know your Bibles more. So what's the big deal? Well, heaven or hell. Where Jesus he did not put the Pharisees in heaven, and yet they used the Scriptures. So our challenge, folks, is when you read your Bible, and you're just doing your devotions, and you read across a verse, and you think it's saying one thing which might, you know, might have ramifications for you. And by the way, you and I need to be willing to be corrected and rebuked by the Scriptures. And hopefully you've experienced that. If you've ever been born again... That was your first time, major time, where God got hold of your heart. Gee, By the way, John chapter 3, Jesus said to a Pharisee, he said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You must be born again, he told Nicodemus. And um, that's important. Jesus said that. So have you been born again? And when you come across scriptures that seemingly don't fit with maybe how you understand God, be, be willing to find out, okay, what is the text really saying? And that's what we're going to do today. Philippians chapter 2, let's just look at it. Verse 12. Here's the big scripture that's under question. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, and here comes the, the zinger, here comes the, here comes the statement, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Work? You mean, if I'm going to be saved, I've got to work at my salvation? Now, if you're you're familiar, even with kind of a a semi-understanding of Scripture, the New Testament, you are going to understand that there is a major emphasis that the New Testament has when it comes to salvation and works. We're going to look at some of those verses. And we're going to see that this is one of those seeming contradictions. It's like, we're going to see some verses today where Paul makes it clear as black and white that The way you get saved, the way you go to heaven, is not by your good works. Over and over and over again. He articulates it so clearly. And yet here, he seems to say just the opposite. Work out your own salvation. So the question this morning is, do we work or don't we work? To work or not to work? That is the question. You know, what's Paul saying here? Well, let's jump in. Let me give you the outline based on just these two verses. We want to see, first of all, the seeming contradiction. Bible, uh, Please understand this. We approach the Scriptures as born-again believers, as Christians who believe the Bible. We understand that that's how God communicates to us. We approach the Scriptures like David did. Here's what David said in, in the Old Testament. He said, of God's word, he said, therefore... I esteem, I elevate all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. Did David have an exhaustive knowledge of the word of God? He didn't. But he approached the scriptures. They call that in in scientific terms or theological terms, a priori. In other words, you go into it. It's a presupposition. David went into the Bible, even before he opened the book, he believed that, this is how God spoke, so he he counted all of God's precepts. If it's if it's scripture, if it's part of God's law, it's right. And so when you and I approach the scriptures, if you believe that's how God has spoken to you, then you understand the Bible's right. And that's how God holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Paul told Peter or Paul told Timothy All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So when you believe that, then you're going to understand that there's this thing called, have you ever heard of verbal plenary inspiration? It's based on 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It's simply this. We believe that God has given us his revelation in the scriptures and that it is verbal, that's word for word, and plenary means full. That means the Bible is given by inspiration of God. So there's no contradictions. There are apparent contradictions. Uh, In other words, sometimes you read one verse and you read another, like this one here, uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Wait a minute, I thought Paul said we're saved by grace and not by works, and now he's saying work out your own salvation. That's a seeming contradiction, but once you study these seeming contradictions, they're not contradictions. You learn something. It's a great way to learn. If that's how God has spoken to us, and he has. He has communicated to us through his revelation. So let's jump in. We're going to see, first of all, the seeming contradiction. Work out your own salvation. Then we're going to see the counterbalance. That's verse 13. For it is God that worketh in us. And then we're going to see the takeaway. In other words, what is Paul saying here? What does he want us to do as New Testament believers? When he says, work out your own salvation, what's he talking about so that we can properly apply it? And I hope that if you are a believer today, uh, that you and I will understand uh, what God is saying. So let's bow in prayer, and then we're going to jump in. Father, help us this morning to understand this text, to understand your word. and, And even importantly, Father, what does it mean to us? What do you want for us out of this challenge that was given to the Philippians so many years ago to work out their own salvation. Help us to understand what that means so that we can then work it out and do what it says. Help us to understand what it's not saying. And help us to get this important distinction of the gospel. Have it To have it clear in our mind. And we'll thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So again, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have, by the way, notice this, as ye have always obeyed. Do you know that this is the only epistle written by Paul that does not have a direct rebuke to the church? Amazing. The the churches in Galatia, a lot of rebuke. The The churches in Corinth, a lot of rebuke. But apparently Philippians is the only one. Now there is an exhortation to two people in the church in Philippi, Iodius and Cync, but there's this is like this is the only church where there's no direct rebuke to the church. Kind of a blessing. So that's why he could say, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my, in my absence, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and. And trembling. So let's talk about this contradiction. When it comes to salvation, a person getting right with God, a person having their sins forgiven and washed, a person that uh, is written, whose name is written in the book of life, a person who no longer needs to fear condemnation because they have believed on Jesus Christ. This kind of a person. What, being told to, to work out your salvation. how did? What does Paul mean by that? What part does works play in salvation? The two terms are connected, aren't they? Work out your own salvation. So, is there something we still got to do? Are we hanging on an edge? Because, well, maybe we haven't done everything. And now Paul's telling us, who you guys just began. you got so much work to do if you want to make it to heaven. Is that what he's saying? No. But let's look in and see what it is. And I'm going to read a few quotes this morning. I won't go too deep into them. But um, one ancient commentator that, I, that I've appreciated uh, said this. He said, to work out. And then he gives two examples, as in Ephesians 6.13, and, and, and then the other one that I'm thinking of is Romans 12. Here's what, here's what Ephesians 3.16, 6.13 says. Paul says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. So this writer is saying that Paul's exhortation here is similar to that one. Take on the whole armor of God. Another one that comes to my mind, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So Paul is challenging us to present, submit ourselves, present ourselves to God. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what's he telling us? Well, this writer says, in that same way, he's challenging uh, to work out is to carry out the completion of what is begun. This is the function of man as fellow worker with God, first in his own soul and then among his brethren. Now, he reminds us, and I want to remind you this verse earlier, God is the beginner and perfecter of every good work. Back on September 3rd, I'm preaching through this, this text, and... um. And we came to a verse, Philippians chapter chapter 1 and verse 6, which is very important. In fact, I'll I'll go to that in a minute. But um, let's talk about what is Paul saying here. Is he telling us that we're not really saved yet and that it's something you have to work to attain? Work out your own salvation. Let me back up and let me share with you a bunch. Not not exhaustive. There's so many more I could share. But some of the clear teachings of Paul in the Scriptures that has to do with works. How do you get to heaven? How do you get to heaven? Can anyone know for sure that they're going to heaven? I remember that was a question. That was the top question on my mind when somebody came to me at the age of 17... And start talking about heaven and hell and all that. And I remember thinking, uh, the way I was brought up, I was brought up very religious. I didn't think, well, I was taught, you can't know for sure. In fact, in my, what I grew up, only the priest could know for sure. Which would really, you know, be good to be a priest if you're the only one that could know. But I remember this guy coming to me and sharing the gospel and say, talking about heaven and hell. And I thought, wait a minute, I can't. I'm just a peon. I can't know whether I'm going to heaven. And then he took me to 1 John, chapter 5, where John said this. This is the record that God hath given to us. And this, uh, in fact, let me read to it. All of a sudden my mind went blank. That has never, ever, ever happened. What? All right. It says, 1 John, chapter 5, this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. God has given us heaven. And this life, heaven, is in his Son. That's Jesus Christ. Pay attention here. It's so important. This is a record that God has given to us, heaven, eternal life. And heaven, eternal life, is in his Son. Verse 12. He that has the Son, he that hath the Son, has life. He that has not the Son of God has not life. Boy, that is now, you know, so many people would hear that that are not familiar with the Christian message or the message of Jesus, and they would just dismiss Jesus right away. That is narrow. That is so narrow-minded. I don't want anything to do with that kind of a narrow exclusivity That to say that if you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. Who is this Jesus person? Here's what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life no man cometh unto the father but by me in fact jesus even said if you come any other way you're a thief and a robber now that is either pure arrogance or he really is the way the truth and the life and he is he's the resurrection and the life You want to come to God, you have to come through him. Paul put it this way when writing to Timothy. He said, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul believed what Jesus said, that he's the only way, the way, the truth, and the life. What do you believe? Because if you have the Son, you have heaven. You're on your way to heaven. If you don't have Jesus, according to the Bible, you don't have life. And, and listen to what John went on in First John chapter 5, verse 12, is he that has the son has life, he that doesn't have the son doesn't have life. And in verse 13, he says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. So he's talking to an exclusive group of people. There's people who believe in Jesus, and there's people who don't believe. He says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, John, why did you write these things? That you may know that you have eternal life. That verse smacked me in my face as a 17-year-old kid. Because I had always believed that nobody, except for the elite religious guys, nobody, and by the way, the nuns too, I think we're taught, they also also got a, you know, they got the free pass too. But us, anyone else, we could not know. And so... In fact, I, th- I remember it was called the sin of presumption. I don't know what they call it today. But I remember being taught that when I heard this, I thought, well, isn't that the sin of presumption to assume you're going to go to heaven? Who can, t- who can know? What did John say? I write these that you may know that you have eternal life. That is so important. Now, let's listen to what some, some of these verses Paul said that make it so clear how do you know you're going to heaven? How do you know? Is it a matter of, am I good enough? That's what I many people think. Well, you know, you, you work real hard, and hopefully your good outweighs your bad. And it's, you, you know, it's really, are you are you working for your salvation? I've heard this so many times, i probably said this. You going to heaven? Well, I hope so. Are you good enough? Well, I hope so. Listen to these verses. Titus chapter 2 and verse... Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, Paul Paul wrote this. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Do you see the contrast? Not by works of righteousness which we have done. Wait a minute. You mean all my, my going to church am I doing the sacraments and the ordinances and doing this and doing that and being such a good person you know it's not by works of righteousness no but according to his mercy he saved us wow by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost here's another very important verse Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of god not of works lest any man should boast you realize i want you to think stop for a minute and think of that let that digest for by grace by the way grace is god giving us something or anyone grace is getting good things that we don't deserve mercy is withholding bad things that we do deserve So, for by grace, that's getting something good that we don't deserve. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And just to articulate that a little more, he says, not of works, that's of ourselves. In other words, it's not what we do. It's what Jesus did for us. I love what Spurgeon said when he articulated. He said, salvation is not by what you bring to christ but by what you take from him you know for 17 years of my life i was trying to bring stuff to christ i had all these things in fact we're going to see in a little bit as we study philippians paul had the same attitude paul was bringing all this stuff to god he was a pharisee he was a tri- of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin circumcised the eighth day. Concerning the law, blameless. He had all these things that it was all him. He was doing it. I was the same way. Not Paul's credentials, but, you know, like many religions today that emphasize and teach that you're saved by your works. You're bringing to God a whole bunch of stuff. I think of the, the testimony of Martin Luther. who was a monk who went to Rome. To, to climb the famous steps that they had transported from Jerusalem. Apparently, Pilate steps, the ones, uh, the famous steps in the scriptures that, that Pilate walked and that Jesus walked. They, um, Rome got the idea, let's bring this to Rome, and they made them, I forget what they call it, but um, many pilgrims would go there. And Martin Luther did that many decades, uh, centuries ago. And he would just walk up and pray. And, um, just go up and down and, and, and these are things that he would do to atone for his sin. That's what works is. Works is you are trying to be good enough and atone for your own sin. So many precious people so sincerely are trying to earn their way to God by doing good. Whether it's religiously or uh, you know societally. Or morally, they're trying to earn their way. And you know what, folks? James put it this way. He basically ruled out that we could ever get to God that way. In James chapter 2 and verse 10, he says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law. You remember the Ten Commandments? By the way, the, there's, the Jews counted in the Old Testament 313 commandments. There's uh, more than 10. But they're summarized. In 10, and then the 2. But James said, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in 50, 20, 1 is guilty of all. Now when I said that, if a spirit of gloom and a dark cloud just came over you, and a, a, a sense of helplessness, I'm glad because you're understanding something. I'm not doing this to to hurt you or to go go against you. But the very purpose of the law is not to save us. It is to condemn us. To see that we need to be saved somewhere outside of the law system. Paul put it this way. He said, for what things soever the law saith, this is in Romans 3, what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, here's the purpose of the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. For 17 years of my life I was trying to do the law and be good and follow the the uh, precepts of my church. And I was hoping I had a chance. And it wasn't until I realized, you don't get to God that way. Uh, it, it, the sealed the deal for me was when this guy opened the Bible and went to Matthew with Jesus' teachings. Jesus said, you've heard that it's been said, thou shalt not kill. And I can assure you that by the when I was at the age of 17, I had killed no one. not that awesome? And Jesus said, but I say unto you, because see, I'm patting myself on the back. Yeah, I'm not a murderer. I'm on my way to heaven. And then he said this. But I say unto you, whosoever's angry with his brother without a cause is in danger of the judgment. In other words, the same thing. Who can say they've never been angry? In fact, in 1 John, John articulated that and said he that had hatred in his heart is a murderer. That's the idea. Now, probably most of you here can say, never killed anyone, right? But who can say we've never had hatred or anger towards people? And then Jesus said, I say unto you that whosoever, or you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. I wasn't even married. And so, you know, I'm good there. But then Jesus said, but whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery already in his heart. See, this is the law condemning us. Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. Do you know that in Revelation... It tells us who's going to go to hell, and it gives us all these really bad people. And then it says, and all liars. Who hasn't told a lie? Some of you are raising your hand, right? (laughs) You know, who has, who is perfect? But you see, when you and I realize I could never be good enough, I could never save myself. And as Spurgeon said, again, it's not what we bring to Christ, but what we take from him. What Paul is going to tell us he did in a little bit in this this passage or in this book is he took all those things that were gained to him and he threw them out. They became like dung. All those good deeds, all those proud moments, all those righteous things that he did that he was so proud of and he hoped that God would be proud of them too. He said, I count them as dung. And now he comes empty-handed. Some more verses. Romans eleven six 6, talking about going to heaven and how you get saved. And if by grace, then is it no more of works? Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. In other words, work, grace, faith, works, two different things. You don't get to heaven by both. If you're either saved by grace... Which is, remember, that's God giving us something we don't deserve. Or you're saved by works. That's God giving us something we do deserve. Or getting something we deserve. Works. We're trying to work our way. Paul said this in Galatians 2.16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Folks, there are so many Christian religions that, that once embraced the gospel that you're saved by faith alone apart from works that have, especially in the last 100-150 years entire denominations have compromised and changed their gospel and now teach a work salvation so what how do you get to heaven let's let's as we go in this text Philippians chapter two it's important that you and I understand when the Bible uses the word salvation and when it's talking about what's called soteriological in other words our soul being saved going to heaven there are actually three aspects of our salvation salvation One is called justification. The second aspect, all of the same salvation, is called sanctification. And then the third aspect is called glorification. Now, I'm going to explain these three as as brief as I can. But a failure to distinguish between these three has led to uh, this, this corruption of the gospel. And it all goes back to the definition of justification. First of all, and and let me explain what happens. When a person gets salvation, the first thing they experience is something the Bible calls justification. It is to legally be declared righteous. It is a legal term. And it's something that happens when you and I come to God understanding that we can't earn salvation, but Jesus, when He died on the cross... Paid for our sin completely. In Isaiah 53, the Bible says, God, he hath laid on him. This is what happened when Jesus was on Calvary. He laid on him the iniquity of us all. All our iniquity. Jesus took on himself. He paid the price. Here's The New Testament version of that is 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says for... um, For he hath made him, that's God the Father, made God the Son, he hath made him to be sin for us. That's laying on Jesus the iniquity of us all. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus was the spotless Lamb of God. Why did God do that? Why did God make Jesus to be sin for us? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. you understand that? Now that's the gospel, and that's what justification by faith is. It's what was battled out over during the Reformation back in the 1500s and 1600s. It was the church had the the, the government church had become so corrupted that many within were starting to read their Bibles and saying that's not what the Bible says that you have to work. And so this whole Reformation, the battle over justification, sola fide, faith alone. Now, I want to ask you something. Are you on your way to heaven? Now, you might be like me and think, how can anyone know that? Well, again, the Bible says, he that has the Son, you have Jesus. You know what that means? Have you trusted in Jesus alone? You've come to him. Again, you're not bringing anything to God anymore. It's not what we bring to Christ. It's what we take from him. In a sense, You need to kneel at the foot of the cross and cry out for God's mercy and realize that therein Jesus on the cross is our only hope. And and forget about all the stuff you're doing down here because if you could put all all the good stuff you could do together remember what Isaiah 64 says? It says, For all our righteousnesses are as Filthy rags. It's not about us. It's about Him. Have you ever humbly come to the cross and just cried out for God's mercy? Remember the the sinner and the publican and the temple praying? And the one, the religious guy, um, the Pharisee. I said the sinner and the publican. They were the two the same. The Pharisee was the guy. He was so religious and so proud of himself. He's just puffed up and patting himself on the back and saying, "Lord, I thank you." Oh, look at that! Look at that lowlife over there. the The tax collector was so he was so filled with contempt. He said, "Lord, I thank you. I'm not like that guy." He was so arrogant, and yet that tax collector that was very low couldn't even look up at heaven. He was so convicted of his sin. All he did was cry out, "God, be merciful to me." And Jesus said, "That's the man that went to his house." Justified, legally declared righteous, not the religious guy. Stop trying to religious your way to heaven. come to the foot of the cross and believe on him and him alone. So understanding this, so there's that's justification. there's three aspects. In other words, when you see the word salvation or saved in your New Testament, it could be, in fact, it, the word saved simply means delivered. And sometimes that's all it's talking about. Somebody being delivered from like a shipwreck or something. So don't, you don't want to read a going to heaven, heaven and hell type of a salvation every time the word salvation is used. But when it is used to talk about our eternal destiny, it's either justification, that's what happens the moment you believe. You are immediately delivered from the punishment of your sins, once and for all. Second aspect of salvation is our sanctification. That's the work that God does from the moment you get saved, justified, until the moment He calls you home. In other words, when you get saved, your sin nature is not eradicated. You don't stop being a sinner. And everyone that's been saved, you you acknowledge that, don't you? Anyone think they got perfect? The day you got saved? No. In fact, the, more I, the closer I get to the Lord, the, the, the worse I seem. Because, you know, he's dealing with me about something. I'm like, all right, Lord, some things I wrestle with. And then it's like, okay, I got victory over that. I am so holy. And he says, oh, you're just beginning here. And then he starts showing me all this other stuff. And I'm dealing with that. And, and I've been doing this for, for almost 40 years. 40 years? No, no. Whatever. I've been doing it for a while. But you know what? I've come to realize that I'm a lot worse than I thought I was when I got saved. And I know he's not done with me and he's not done with you. That's called the sanctification process. Sometimes the word salvation, sanctified, is referring to that. And then the third one is called glorification. So justification is being delivered from the punishment of your sins. Sanctification is a daily being delivered from the power of sin. It's an ongoing process. And glorification is when you and I will finally be delivered from the presence of sin. That's when we go to heaven. And that's when you and I get our new bodies. That's when you and I stop sinning. I can't wait for that. Won't that be great? But those three terms talk about salvation. And you and I need to understand, as, as I try to wrap this up here, is that when Paul said to these believers, work out your own salvation, he was talking to people who had already been justified by faith. I want to read briefly from an article and then share a, um, something interesting that just happened this last week. Sad, tragic. There's an article written by a religious leader of the denomination in the church that I grew up in. And this, this is called Righteous or Reckoned. And this man refers back to the Council of Trent, which, by the way, was um, my church's growing up. Uh, it was an ecumenical council that was done during the Reformation to combat some of these things. And this writer says the Council of Trent taught that through baptism, believers are, quote unquote, made innocent, immaculate, pure, harmless, and beloved of God. Baptism is a religious work that people do, according to the New Testament. After they believe. You look in your Bible, in the New Testament, the book of Acts. Every person that was baptized first heard the gospel, comprehended the gospel, responded to the gospel, and believed. And they were justified. The religious ceremony of baptism was simply that, a religious ceremony to share Publicly what had already happened to them. Baptism doesn't save anyone. Communion doesn't save anyone. Religious ordinances, sacraments. In fact, the word sacrament by definition is speaking about meritorious grace. Things you do to earn. You don't get to heaven by what you do. So this man says... Uh, at baptism this happens and then he says the catechism of the church concurs justification is not only the remission of sins but also the sanctification and renewal of the interior man here's what they do I, I don't have time to go all into that but they mistake you see justification sanctification and glorification are three intimate aspects of the same thing but if you don't make a distinction between them you're going to start confusing it, and that's what they do. They, in fact, he he said, um let me see if I he said, Protestants argue that the Bible contradicts this idea of interior, rene- interior renewal. No, we don't. We just deny that justification is the internal. Renewal. There's a difference between justification, which has nothing to do with works, and sanctification, which is what Paul is challenging these people to do. When he says, work out your own salvation, he's telling them to allow what happened in, in you to play out in how you live among your fellow believers. That's the idea of work out your own salvation. And so what he's challenging us. In fact, the next verse then. Look at the next verse. We might as well finish it here. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That goes back to the verse. September 3rd, I preached a message called. um, It was on this or from this text. And it's uh, he's still working on me. Remember, it says he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying in verse 13. It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So, first of all, have you been justified by faith? And if you have, it has nothing to do with whether you go to this church or another church, how often you go, how much you submit to their ordinances and their teachings, how good you are, how many old ladies you walk across the street. You know, it, it, it has nothing to do with your good works it's by faith and faith alone then and now here paul is talking only to people who've been justified where he says okay now work out your own salvation in other words allow god to continue that good work he's going to do it until it's finished but he's challenging them to allow god and 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 their part in yielding to the lord I want to mention this. I'm not sure if it fits here, but this, it's interesting that this past week, many of you are familiar with the tragedy that happened on Wednesday in East Lansdowne, just a mile and a half from our house. On Wednesday, a, a dear girl was coming home from Upper Darby High School. Uh, a Vietnamese family, ref, uh, immigrants that came over a couple decades ago, been living in the house in East Lansdowne, whole family, and uh, sadly... The brother of uh, the husband and the wife that lived there with, her, with his parents, his brother also lived there. You probably heard it. And he, uh, he got into an argument with one of his nieces, shot her. Somebody called 911, and this man just ended up killing his own family and burning his house down. And um, if you heard, the, there was an interview where the district attorney of Delaware County, and it's so interesting that he made this statement. That I want to read to you. Um, his name, yeah, Jack. I have it right here, Jacks. Yeah, he, here's what he said. He said, um, "In fact, here's the article from from uh, one of the lo- CBS." Calling on his upbringing with Catholic nuns, Delaware County District Attorney Jack Stolzmeier didn't hold back on Friday in describing what a man named Con Lee is alleged to have done to his own family. How many of you saw that video, the interview? He was passionate. I love his passion. This man was righteously indignant over this man who killed his brother and sister-in-law and nieces, nephews. In fact, the, the grandparents were able to escape. But here's what he said. And I, I love this quote. God bless the, the nuns at St. Dennis. He said... Um, if this man did shoot his family, there's a good lawyer for you, right? The alleged actions. He says, if this man did shoot his family, which is a horrible, evil act. I can't comprehend it. It's a, which is a horrible, evil, and I can't comprehend. He said, then I hope the Sisters of Mercy at St. Dennis taught me the truth and that he is going to spend the rest of his life suffering in hell for what he did. Wow. Good on you, Sisters of of mercy, you know, uh, they that's good. I mean, that's Bible, is it not? Is there not a hell? Now it's interesting that on the same, just this last week, I heard an interview that apparently came from January from the Pope, and the Pope was asked, "Do you think hell is real?" Listen to what he said. This is amazing. This was on a, uh, a, a an Italian media outlet. Pope Francis was asked how he imagines hell if he really believes God forgives everyone who asks. And this is what he said. He said, it's difficult to imagine it. What I would say is not dogma of faith. He's being very clear. It's not dogma of faith, but my personal thought. I think, I like to think hell is empty. I hope it is. Now, it's interesting, and again, listen, I I love... My, my family's Catholic. I was brought up Catholic. I love... I've said this before. I love a lot of Catholics more than I love some Baptists. It's true. I mean, Catholic, there's so many precious people. But isn't it interesting that... Here the Pope's saying... And, and I get what he's saying. He's like, I, I hope there's no one in hell. Now, this really is a matter of dogma. <laughs> you know, affirmed by popes down through the ages that... And it really... It, it, forget about the church... Jesus is the one that taught that there is a hell. So he's saying, I really hope there's no one in hell. Well, what about this guy that just slaughtered his family? I think of that, you know, the district attorney. He says, oh, those sisters of mercy taught me there's a hell, and I'm sure that guy's there. Folks, there is a hell. According to Jesus Christ, he spoke on it over and over again. And the way to be delivered from the punishment of hell is not to be a good person because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God all of us need a savior all of us have sinned maybe we've not been as bad as this this uh, Con Lee guy but we are still sinners worthy of God's wrath and so if you have not been justified by faith alone and, and this article and and I've, I've been reading books uh, one book by a a guy that was a Protestant minister and then converted to Catholicism. And he wrote a book on justification by faith. And he, it's so clever. He talks about the fact that, that they are infused. That we Protestants deny that when people get saved they are infused with God's righteousness. Which is interesting because if God is infusing people with righteousness. Then why do you still have to do the sacraments? Why is there a place called purgatory? You see, there's a difference between this infusing and what's called imputation. We're not infused with righteousness, folks. We don't have any righteousness of our own. Paul made that clear. We are given Christ's righteousness. It's counted to us. It's reckoned to us. When you get saved, it's not a matter of you being good enough. It's a matter of Jesus accomplishing it all. And so now, Paul would say, and we're going to see this down the road, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but I'm in Christ. So, I close. Year, a couple years ago, we had um, one of Jim, Jim, Jim Kerr's co-workers, Jim Madden, preached here. And I'll never forget what he said at the end of his message or during his message. He talked about years ago, as far as witnessing. And he made this statement one day, he said, um... He said, I, so I would say to God, I go out there in the day and I would say to the Lord, okay, Lord, you get something started. In other words, conversation and witnessing. You get something started and I'll join in. Now, God did not speak to him audibly, but it was this, this is the thought that came to his mind. He said, okay, Lord, you get something started and I'll join in. God bless his heart. And he said, all of a sudden, it was like I heard the Lord say, no, no, no. You get something started and I'll join it. You know, in other words, you start the conversation. And I love that. Because God says, Jesus said, Go ye therefore and preach the gospel, preach to every nation. And so the challenge is, and this is what Paul's saying when he says, Work out your own salvation. I want you, it's, like, it's like someone say this. It's like someone say, Okay, Lord, you give me a desire to go to church and I'll start going. Now, wait a minute. Working out your own salvation means you don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It's like someone says, okay, Lord, you get me up naturally to read my Bible and I'll do it. Isn't that what many people are They're waiting for God to move? and Well, the Lord just hasn't moved me. And if the Philippians were doing that, Paul's saying, work out your own salvation. That's the idea. Okay, Lord, you remove this sin from my life and I won't do it anymore. Is that what we're saying? Sometimes we do. And so this challenge to work out our own salvation has nothing to do with going to heaven and being saved. It is to us who are saved. And it is to allow God to be continue the work of sanctification. It's not, you know, present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's doing that. It's putting on the whole armor of God. It's let not letting not sin reign in our mortal bodies. Are you working out your own salvation? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Please, Father, I pray, I pray, I've made it simple enough so that those who have not been saved, not been justified by faith, will understand that salvation is by faith alone. Justification. May they come to the foot of the cross bringing nothing but taking from You what the finished work of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask Your blessing. Save souls. We pray in Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's all stand, please.